Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton. Wait a minute. For this particular podcast, I need to say something different. I'm not actually the host today. I was a guest on the Gravel Lot Podcast, and I was interviewed by John and Doug. I thought it was a great opportunity to share a little bit of my story through the eyes of the Gravel Lot Podcast. John and Doug aim to elevate cycling of all types and at all levels by telling the stories of the people who ride them, build them, and advocate for them. Their interviews are long form, so typically an hour and a half. They do them live as well as share them on their podcast feed. We connected and bonded as fellow podcasters, cyclists, and community builders. So it's a real pleasure talking to the guys. I wanted to share the episode in its entirety. So you're going to hear it from beginning to end from John and Doug, including their sponsors and their call to support. I encourage you to check out their sponsors because just as my sponsors support what I do, their sponsors are critical to their continued efforts as podcasters and live streamers. Since I won't speak to you at the end of the broadcast, before we jump in, I'll just leave you with my parting words. Here's to finding some dirt under your wheels. I hope you enjoy learning a little bit more about me in the course of this podcast. And if you're a new listener, rest assured this isn't a typical episode of the Gravel Ride podcast. It's an atypical one. So jump backwards in your feed or wait until next week and you'll hear one of my normal long form interviews or the In the Dirt series. With that said, let's dive right in. Welcome to The Gravel Lot, the place where bikes are for everyone. The Gravel Lot podcast is presented by Be Free Ride Bikes Apparel, providing a fully customized cycling apparel experience to provide you and your team the attention to detail and personal touch that you deserve. And also brought to you by Grimpore Brothers Coffee, offering handmade coffee roasted weekly in small batches to give you the finest quality coffee to start your day. Choose their subscription service and earn your free bag of coffee today. Also, by BioWheels Fit Studio and Workshop in Cincinnati, Ohio, offering you a full host of bike fitting services intended to provide the cycling enthusiast with the most efficient, comfortable, and sustainable bike fit they have ever had. And by the Ritual All Natural Skin Care, providing small batch, handmade chamois cream, custom blended for your team or shop right here in Cincinnati, Ohio. Contact us today to learn more. And by Hand Up Gloves. Great gear, better times. Providing a wide range of apparel for bikes, snow sports, and golf in multiple designs and fits to let your personality shine. Our goal with the Gravel Lot is to inspire cyclists of all stripes to ride bikes, share their story, and have fun. We love all bikes and anyone who wants to ride them. So no matter where you sit on the spectrum of bikes, we'll always have a place for you in the Gravel Lot. And now, the hosts of TGL, John Woolery and Doug McClintock. Hello and welcome back once again to the Gravel Lot, the official podcast of all things cycling. I'm John, that's Doug, and we want to welcome all of you. Whether you are a new pebble, welcome to the Gravel Lot, as we are all pebbles in this Gravel Lot of life, or you're old and grizzled and have been around for a long time, 
thanks for coming back. We love that you come back. We love that you keep showing up, and we love that we get to call you old and grizzled and <laughs> still keep coming back. That's how it goes. So you old grizzled, you old grizzled pebbles. To everybody, welcome. And for those of you who are new here at the Gravel Lot, we love we love all things bikes. We love racing bikes. We love talking about bikes, mountain bikes, gravel bikes, road bikes, all of it. But I think above all else, we love storytelling and we love the community that surrounds this cycling world. And then obviously hearing the stories from all of you in our community. Above all else, our goal is to make sure that all of it, whatever ride you are on, you will always have a place here in this gravel lot where you have a story to tell and you have something interesting to bring to the table. So if you guys like what you hear today and believe in what we're doing, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, do whatever the internet says you guys know what to do to make the internet do what it does and share it with other people but it'd be extra cool if you shared this with some of your bike friends because let's bring more people into this thing make sure to leave your comments below let us know what you think hit the link in our show notes check out our website our etsy store all of our sponsors or head over to patreon if you so if you so choose and become one of our patreon supporters yeah, and in addition to going to our little corner of the internet, which is a great place and full of fun things to see and do and listen to and all that, make sure you go support all the folks we mentioned in the intro. They are amazing partners of ours. We got a lot of things that we're working on, and those partners are coming on this journey with us. So a lot of good stuff coming down the road. So make sure you go support them and show them that this show and the things that are going on in the bike community and the things that they do are important to you with your doll hair. They will appreciate that for sure. Also, if you want to send questions, give us new guests, just talk to us or heckle <laughs> us or whatever you want to do, you can do that in a number of different ways. First off, obviously, John said, put comments below. If you're watching this live, that's awesome. But also send us all the feedback on Instagram, Facebook, every, Twitter, every single bit of social media we are available on. We are at the gravel lot on all of those things. And you can also reach us on our phone number 513-455-77. We would be happy to take your feedback in that space. Transcribe your uh, information via Google Voice and then do nefarious things with it. So call us, tell us what's going on or just ask us out or something. I don't know. <laughs> We're not coming out, no, but whatever. Don't do, yeah, don't do that. All of that out of the way, the business keeping. John, how was the ride this week? Man, I'm just gonna jump right in and say Alma Glen Gravel Ramble. Yes. I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna alliterate it. It was a lot we packed a lot into a very short time. So we drove up Friday afternoon, drove back Saturday afternoon. It's supposed to be five hours, took seven and a half hours to get up there. Shh. Took five five hours we made good time coming home but man what a what an event um in terms of everything about the production the 100k the 50k routes were incredible the weather was amazing you could not you could not you could not ask for better weather no we had we had the city manager on our ride and i feel like he was responsible for our as doug likes to make fun of it whenever i say our chamber Chamber of of commerce weather that we had but so we started with, for those of you who didn't know, we hosted a Gravelot-specific ride aimed at anybody who was at all on the fence of doing gravel for the first time, doing 50 kilometers for the first time, or any of the things that come with signing up for a bike event for the first time and any of those anxieties. A couple of weeks ago, we held a Zoom meeting to talk through some of the questions that people may have, made ourselves available via email to all of those things as well. Anytime somebody registered, we sent them a personal invite welcoming to the event. We brought I think I bought like fifty dollars worth of snacks for everybody. I ate, I um, ate most there, of them. I actually there were not ate most many. Of the snacks. Like I was People jonesing for some. 
I was jonesing for some sweets the other day and they're like, we didn't bring that many home. So either people took them home or they actually grabbed them on the ride. But yeah, that's just all the prep stuff in the back end of it. But actually doing the ride, man, what a great recalibration for me getting back to riding with friends, making new friends. Like this was a group of people who had never met each other previous to this ride outside of, I think there was a, a husband and wife, but it was a bunch of people that started the ride as not knowing each other and then finished the ride all like chatting and hanging out after the ride. And it was, it took three hours or whatever. And everyone had an amazing day and it was just vibing off of that and feeding off of that energy that was coming from them was so much better than going out and smashing myself for three and a half hours at 20 miles an hour, 22 miles an hour, trying to finish some really hard gravel ride. So it was, it was a good ride this weekend. That's excellent. That's I, and I second all of that. So that is, that is all exactly my experience as well. We had an absolute blast. Thank you to JB. Thank you to the city of Alma. Thank you to flat Doug and regular Doug and the yeah, other Doug. We got to see both Doug. of them side we by had, side. We had a three Doug ride. That's a very rare occurrence. You've heard of three dog nights and there's a three Doug ride. Those are both <laughs> very rare occurrence. And be on the lookout where I've got all of the DJI gimbal footage. Nice. But as you guys who have been following the show know, we are technologically, we're generally technologically challenged here on the gravel lot, but we are exceptionally <laughs> technologically challenged right now. Right now. Um, so I'm working on it. We're working on getting that video published, video created, all that content boiled down. And we did post ride interviews with some of the people who joined us on the ride, which was awesome. They were like, and again, it was all feeding off of that post-ride, post-ride vibe. So a lot of content coming from that soon. I don't want to promise you guys when it's going to be up, but just please believe me that I'm working on it. I'm working on getting the computer here. I'm trying to like, will it like fly faster from Asia? No, I don't know no, if that's possible, it's not, but I'm trying. It's not a thing. It's possible. If you've got that, then you need to use that for my figure out how to get my, our bikes. Other here things sooner. to help Mark yeah. Cavendish win more stages of the tour. No, just get our bikes here. That's all I'm asking for. Just oh, get our bikes okay. here right. quicker. Maybe so on the same uh, plane. I have very few updates except this. As of today, if you are listening to this on Tuesday and you are live, or even if it's Thursday, today is 31 days until the wedding. <laughs> so on Thursday, it will be 29, 30 days, 29 days. Like we are in the final months. So I'm just trying to keep it together with gum and popsicle sticks and just get across the finish line. So that's where my focus is. Let's get there. And then let's go visit our good friend Ian in Hawaii. And uh, yeah, that'll be that. I guess so. you gave away the, you gave away the challenge. Yeah. No one's guessed it. So that's how it well, is. Whatever. So you yeah, idiots, whatever. I'm going to see our friend Ian. I'm not really going. I'm going to see him, but I'm not going to see him. I'm going to go on, <laughs> but I will get to see him, which is an added yes. benefit of traveling to such a place. And we're really excited. Lots of historical stuff to see and, and spend time there doing cool hikes and see all the places that he's going to do in his crazy three island route. We're going to get to see some of that stuff in person. I'm very excited for that. But we're in the final throes of getting this thing across the finish line and making that happen. So. When we mentioned it last week, and I think with that, it's going to come, we're working through some final adjustments to what's going on. Things with, we're still going to be making the podcast. Things are going to change slightly because both of us have a lot of new responsibilities. So things are, they, they may be temporary, but we're hopefully next week, we'll be able to share with all of you 
how we're going to go, how we're going to go about this for the immediate future. But yeah, there's a lot changing in Doug's life. I'm now two days into my new position, a lot changing in my life. So we're going to, we've been trying to work through a lot of this stuff outside of the technology to figure out how everything fits together. So hopefully we'll have that stuff figured out for you guys next week. Yeah, we'll have that all shared for you hopefully in the next uh, week or two and give you updates and let you know what we're up to so that you're all informed and we're all informed because we still have to make decisions and figure this the hell out for ourselves. So that's how it works. Life changes, but guess what? We are here. Pebbles, we are always here for you. We are always going to be doing these sort of things. But I think it's time to make the next piece of this happen. And I'm really excited for this week's guest Because not only does this week's guest join us as a a colleague in what we do and someone who is out there actually trying to make things happen, but Craig Dalton is a lot like all of us. He loves cycling. He wants to share with as many of his friends as is absolutely possible. But most notably for us, he is a fellow content creator and podcaster. But like all of us, He is far more than just a few bullet points. So we'll let him explain all of that to you. Let's jump in right now. Craig Dalton, welcome to the Gravel Lot. Thanks, guys. I'm excited to be here. I am excited to to have you here. It is exciting to see your pro setup. I'm feeling it. Like we are all in our pro world. Yeah, it's pretty good. And the we got to talk about the the shirt as well. Let's carve out some time to talk about the shirt. It's and for excellent. anyone listening to the podcast, we're sorry, but go to YouTube and you can actually watch this. It is an excellent yeah, I shirt. I didn't dress up like this just for the audio. Clearly. <laughs> I knew I was going to be on video and I needed to up my game. So this shirt, as I was describing to you guys earlier, it's made out of cycling fabric. It's from a New York-based company, Ostroy. Now I seem like a fashion influencer of sorts, but but it's fun. This is my good time jersey. If I'm putting this on out for a ride, I know I'm in it just to chill for the scenery and it's all good. So it's like a mentality thing. It's like when I wear baggy shorts to mountain bike, it's like that kind of ride. Yeah, yeah. I feel that. I feel that for sure. You can put on the baggies and that it's, I don't know, we might be cracking beers out here. I've hid some in the woods. It's <laughs> definitely that sort of thing. For Pebbles, if you do not know, Craig is the host of the Gravel Ride podcast and is big in that space, doing a lot of really good stuff, has a ton of great content. If you haven't checked out his show, Check out a show. Tons of awesome stuff there. But you've listened to the show. You're a pebble. You're part of this uh, larger world and where we always want to start. We always want to start with how the heck did you find bikes in your life? So, Craig, where did bikes enter the world of Craig? So very early on. So my parents are both from England and my father was an amateur bike racer when he was growing up. So we had a nice campy equipped bike hanging in the garage at all times. The funny thing is at at some point I I had a kid's bike, maybe with riser bars on it and it got stolen, unfortunately, but fortunately having a little bit of privilege in life, my parents were able to afford a new bike. And my dad bought me a very small, like 24 inch road bike, 24 inch wheel road bike. Fun. And I looked at it and said, I can't jump that off curbs. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be a little snot. Obviously I didn't have the wherewithal. I was probably crying and being a real little snot, (laughs) but I convinced him to return that bike and I got a BMX bike. 
And I loved it. BMX was just a source of ultimate freedom for me. I remember feeling like layers of accomplishment as I was able to jump off of five cur- five stairs. And the types of jumps that we were doing back in the 70s and 80s were nothing like the kids are doing today. But suffice it to say, I just fell in love with the adventure side of riding and, and how much it would get me out of my little neighborhood and into my little town and exploring. I, because my neighbor had a BMX bike and his mom was supportive, I actually started racing BMX. I was living in Illinois at the time. Oh, the, Midwest was, di- the Midwest was a hotbed of BMX racing, like tons of it. Totally. And, but my dad was like aghast. He did not know what to make of this sport <laughs> that I was calling it because it made no sense to him as a road cyclist. So I needless to say, I never got any rides from my parents to BMX races, but my neighbor would take me and she would bring a, like a, a hot cooler full of hot dogs for us to eat. And that's what we would eat to fuel ourselves up for performance. Yep. Kids. Yeah. Kids in the seventies, man. Yeah. I feel like we've had this conversation since early in season one is like bubblegum and magic, man. Give a kid like a cookie and a banana and they're good for a 90 mile ride. Even exactly. if it's on a little BMX bikes, like just kids are magic. I'm interested in this response from your dad, like with him spending so much time racing bikes, like it had to have crossed his mind that bike racing is already a niche sport. And so for him to respond the way that he did is it's very intriguing that he would other what you were doing, even though it was still on bikes, but it was a different form of bikes that he may not have understood, but had no desire to understand. That seems like counterintuitive to me. I can't speak to his mindset at the time. It's just my recollection. He came over here and cycling wasn't huge. We were in the New York area when he emigrated from the UK and he did some races in Central Park. But I think as I have a sister, so as he had two kids, he transitioned more into marathon running than cycling for a long time but continued to ride the bike and continues to ride to this day. I actually had the good fortune of interviewing him for my podcast about a month and a half ago. And it was a lot of fun. Got a lot of great feedback for my dad's stories about my dad's got ridiculous stories about riding 160 miles and just having a tin crammed with jam and bread in his pocket. That seems very British. That seems like a very yeah. British Does thing it. to do. Does. <laughs> Doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting because we are all the product of the space in which we start to access bikes. You and I think a lot of like my generation and even John's generation to some extent and the American generation of bikes all come at it from that era of the 70s, 80s BMX. Like we are in that space where that is the the cultural zeitgeist for us and how we all i know i didn't have a cool bmx bike i had a banana seat and like it did have blue bass boat but it was and i put the mushroom od grips on it but it was not a bmx bike like it was like step down but i get it like we were all in that kind of era so how did bmx bikes turn into something more for you what was the what was like the next piece of this Yeah, I think for me, part of the challenge was I moved away from Illinois, moved back to the East Coast to New Jersey, and my sort of group of friends, I was entering high school at that point, and BMX just wasn't a thing at that point. So I transitioned more into riding for uh, purpose, going to and from school. 
But a, a seminal point in my cycling upbringing was really around my junior year of high school. My dad agreed to take me and two friends on a, at this point, you call it a bike packing trip through upstate Vermont and upstate New York and Vermont. And I don't know why he thought this was a good idea, but he took <laughs> us out there. And I remember the, it's a funny story. I remember the first day I had one, a hand-me-down racing bike of his to ride. My friends had cobbled together with some advice from my dad, decently capable drop bar touring bikes. And my dad, as we're setting up and begging for equipment, my dad has two small front panniers and that's it. And he's packing them up and, and my friends and I have the rear rack, the big panniers. We're trying to strap things to the caboose. And my dad's like looking at us like, you want two pairs of shorts, two shirts and a pair of sandals, full stop. And of course we like, we tried and tried to edit it back down, but we ended up having a lot more gear than my dad did. And I remember starting that first day, I, unlike my other two friends, I did have a pair of cycling shorts, but of course I wore a pair of cutoff shorts on top of it because fashion would want that embarrassment. No, no fashion, fashion. Yes. But fortunately for having the cycling shorts underneath, I was able to swap out like in probably half an hour into the first day. I said, embarrassment be gone. Lycra is my friend. I, I remember that era and that was definitely a thing. Like you knew you were walking into a different space at that point in time, this trip being that massive foray. Do you remember its effect on you? Like the cumulative effect of doing a trip with your dad and your friends. Do you remember the effect that it had on you and your relationship with bikes at that time? I think it, it really solidified this idea that all those stories I'd heard growing up from my father, that you really could just get on a bike, take out a map, go somewhere with a little pre-planning. We were staying at AYH youth hostels, which meant like in Vermont, they were in barns with just bunks. And it was just, it, it was an incredible moment. And I don't think I recognized it at the time, but certainly did in retrospect that bikes were this conduit to adventure. And I think later in my life, as I discovered mountain biking, it all came together. Right. And I, I think this is a good like transition point of where kind of your story starts to, you start to go out on your own in, in high school, college, and start to build your professional career. So I guess talk to a little bit about the the first part of your professional career, and then we'll loop back to how cycling and to your point, mountain bikes comes back into the equation. Because I think... A lot of people that maybe maybe our listeners that are listening to your show may not know all of the the like LinkedIn information that you've actually accumulated <laughs> in your professional career because you've done a lot of incredible things in your career. So I think it, it I want to give you a chance to take a little bit of credit for those things. Yeah, I think it actually comes together. My professional career and mountain biking, it all comes together around the time where I went to college. In between my first and second year, I got a mountain bike and got a job in a bike shop in Washington, D.C., where I was going to college, started riding and getting out there. And at the same time, I was studying international business and Washington, D.C. at the time was a very buttoned up place. As you can imagine, a lot of kids who went to school there were looking to get into politics. So they were already wearing, you know, button up shirts and suits and really trying to aim for that job as some congressman or something. Yeah. 
right. about halfway through school, I became very disenfranchised with that lifestyle because I, I, there was this huge dichotomy in what I was experiencing. On the one hand, I was going to school with people on the track to become professionals. And then on the other hand, I was working in this bike shop and interacting with bike couriers and bike racers and bike mechanics. And it was, it, I remember that period of time just being conflicted is the wrong word. I, I, I think I felt privileged that I was part of these two different communities, but I found more and more I was drawn to the cycling side of my life than I was the professional side of my life. And at a certain point, I was intending to go abroad my junior year, and that fell apart because someone blew something up in Europe and they canceled the program, unfortunately. And I thought to myself, God, I, I, I may very well drop out and just find myself. It sounds cliche, but I was getting exposed to all these cyclists and these urban guys and girls that were bike couriers. And I glamorized what that would mean for me. But at the end of the day, I talked to enough of them and they said, actually, being a courier sucks. If you want to be a fast bike racer, <laughs> don't do that. Uh, and I said, okay, I'm going to stay in school, but I'm going to set my intention that when I leave school, I'm going to have an international business degree, but I'm going to apply it to cycling in some way. So I started writing letters out to bike companies that I found in the back of Dirt Rag, Dirt Rag magazine. Yeah, because I mean, at that time, little at about the, them. yeah, at that time, where are you going to find? It's not like you're just scouring the internet for people's email addresses. You're going to have to write letters. Exactly. So I had, I was writing to Ibis in a town called Sebastopol in Northern California. No idea where that was. <laughs> I was writing to Yeti in Durango, Colorado, and writing to Dean Titanium in Boulder, Colorado. And both Dean and Yeti responded to me and had actually had an idea that they would have openings in the future. So I kept speaking to Dean specifically on the phone and Yeti corresponding with them said, hey, we'd love to have you out here for an interview. And I said to myself, I was six months out of college. I was managing a bike shop and I thought, hey, I could do that just as well in Colorado. So why don't I pack the car up and, and move out to Colorado? Sure. So I went down to Durango and interviewed with Yeti. That didn't work out because what had been steeped in me at the time was that if you go to an interview, you wear a suit, period. <laughs> no, no shit. You showed up to Yeti in a suit. Okay. What I, happened? I, I have to be honest, right? I have to be honest. That is what happened. Yes. And John Parker, the founder of Yeti comes in. Everybody was really nice to me. John Parker sure. comes in, big guy, just off the sh shop floor, stains on his shirt. He looked, I think he spent 10 minutes with me and, and said, this isn't for us. This isn't a good fit. <laughs> did that change your, for your next application's attire? It, it did. I found that Colorado has a more relaxed attire. <laughs> a bit. Yeah. A bit. <laughs> so I, I moved up to Boulder and ended up finally connecting with Dean face to face and funny story. So Dean offers me a job as national sales manager, right out of college. Awesome. That's the beauty of only having three people in the company. You can <laughs> national Good sales title. manager. Good You're title. rad titles. Title. Yeah. But the funny thing is I learned after the fact, so I'd been calling them for about six months. And every time I spoke to the production manager's name was Tug Levy. And he would say, Oh, hang on John Seacrest, the founder and owner John's in the executive wing. It's going to take me a few minutes to get over there. Let me we'll just hold on. So he would go through this rigmarole every time I, I spoke to him. And uh, I found out after the fact that 
the interview that I had with Dean was their first week in an office of any kind. And the previous six months I'd been speaking to them, if John needed to be called in from the executive wing, Tug would take a broomstick from the garage and slam the ceiling several times for John to pick up the phone. (laughs) Yes. Excellent. Excellent. This sounds like how I run a business. It's just a lot of smoke and mirrors, right? Right. Yeah. Branding and positioning is what that is. It's how you build. It's how you get yourself to the point where people take you seriously. I have to tell you guys that experience was informative my entire entrepreneurial career. I recognize the value of storytelling because what Dean did in the back of Mountain Bike Action and Dirt Rag Magazine is they were telling a story. They, they created the allure of the brand. And it didn't matter that they were hustling in a garage, sourcing these titanium frames. They still had the same attention to detail, but they crafted that story. And that's so critical in any entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the piece that, that a lot of young entrepreneurs or just really entrepreneurs miss because they're so fixated on my widget, whatever your widget is. If it's, if you're a consultant, if you're actually making a thing, if you're making bikes, whatever it is, my thing has to be perfect. It's okay. Yes, that's part of it, but also there's the impressions and there's what is your, what's, what do people think of you and what do people feel when they see your product or see your brand? And those are all of the intangible things where I think a lot of people miss the boat and and it is, it really is storytelling. It's like a lot of people want to make branding or want to make some sort of like corporate storytelling really complicated, but it's not. It's how can you make somebody, how can you make somebody view your brand as a human and then relate to that human? Yeah. And as in the bike biz, like we're, you're never, your product's never going to appeal to everyone. So you need to pick your lane and communicate authentically with the customers. And if they're buying your story and you got a good product, they're going to be customers for life. Yeah. And the story is genuine in so much that it, that is something you believe in. And it's not, it all comes out in the wash. Like Dean was a small shop and you all were hustling to make it happen. So you roll in it, Dean, you are now the national sales manager right out of college, which is an exciting moment. And this brand that has been storied and built up in your mentality, you're now leading the foray into all these places so these guys can build these bikes and make this stuff happen. What is that experience like for you as a 20-something in the mountain bike market? Yeah, it was trial by fire and you were drinking from a fire hose all the time. At the end of the day, as any small building operation would attest, like it is all about customer service. So Dean had a hybrid model even back then where we'd sell ideally through shops and distributors, but quite often there weren't those resources available in a local community where someone would find us. So we'd also sell directly to consumers. I had the good fortune of the shops I was working in Washington, DC were very professionally run. So it was drilled into our heads how to treat customers and how everybody, you just need to take care of everybody to the nth degree. That's the only way you're going to stay in business. So I just took that mentality to Dean and did what I did. I didn't have any, didn't have any sales skills per se, or understanding about how to build a a national dealer network. Nothing like that happened under my tenure. I just kind of did what I could do to, to make sure everybody was happy and drive the business forward as much as I could at that age. 
I think that's any time that you walk into a to a situation where maybe we all face a little bit of that imposter syndrome when you walk into a new space. You're like, am I bringing anything into this? But it's my only goal should be like, what can I uniquely bring to this? And what can I try and do to move the needle forward? Like to your point, just what can I do every day? To make it a little bit better. Not necessarily how do I move a, mo- a million units next year, but how do I make it a little bit better today than it was yesterday? Yeah. Yeah. So living in Colorado, I was continuing a mountain bike race, got an opportunity to move to Northern California and work for Abaset and work uh, race for Voodoo and Wheelsmith. So Voodoo Bicycles and Wheelsmith. Excellent. Um, did a season with them, ended up getting injured and just really realized like, I was not going to be at the front end of these races. Like I was good on the East coast coming out to Colorado. I was medium good and unlikely to get really good. And same thing in Northern California. So I ended up taking a job with a company called Veta that made bike computers for those Mm -hmm. old timers. Oh, yes, absolutely. Had them. Yes. So I moved over to Switzerland and had an amazing job with them. I worked with distributors and I was an athlete liaison. So I was able to go to the Tour de France, the world championships, and basically give bucket loads of products to all the teams and and make sure everybody was styled out and all their stuff was polished. If they needed a new seat or helmet or whatever, just make sure they were dialed in. So yeah, it was great as as someone in their mid twenties being over there, didn't have any responsibilities, got to go see Stevie and meet some of my idols on the road racing side. So what, yeah, what, I mean, as somebody who's just coming into adulthood and you even mentioned it a little bit ago in, in looking back on some of those experiences, you didn't maybe appreciate them in the moment. Like you do now having more hindsight on it, like looking back on those experiences now going over to Europe and and interacting with those athletes, did it, does it feel as powerful now as it did then to you? Or is it greater, less than, like, how does time age these experiences that you have? I think I'm super thankful that I was over there at the age and time in the world that I was, mm. because I was literally fumbling around with paper maps, with a car, driving all over Europe, like going down the Autobahn and realizing probably too late that the sign in German was like toll booth coming up. So I'm screeching to a halt in my Ford Mondeo um, <laughs> wagon. But now I had it. I, I, those experiences were incredibly valuable. And again, going back to that sort of common theme of I really love being in front of the unknown, whether it's professionally or out there on the bike or hiking in the woods. Like I just have recognized over time that is where my I just get filled up with joy. So, so yeah, it was great. I recognize in, in hindsight that it was a super fortunate experience. And to say that I was sitting in a team car at some pro event is just like a once in a lifetime kind of thing. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people that would try to trade places with you, but I feel like those are the times in our lives when we have, like when you're there in a moment and there's the certain pieces that crystallize around you and you have no idea how you actually really got there, like some random kismet and some hard work and some other stuff puts you in a spot where you are and some privilege, of course, puts you in a place where you're able to be like, oh, snap. But you may not see it right when you're in that space and to be able to look back and go, wow, I had a moment. I was in in a capsule at that time 
to be able to see these things and experience them. It's pretty amazing. And I, I, feel, I do feel like I took a fair amount of risk. Coming from the East Coast, there was a lot of, you graduate from college, you get, a, you get this job and you, you have security and you get married before 30. And I just, at some point, I never didn't feel driven in that same way. And I wanted to take opportunities that were afforded to me and take those risks. So for my tenure in Europe actually was relatively short, only ended up being eight months because Veto was bought by an investment banking company and they ended up, my paycheck stopped coming and I kept getting promised, oh no, it's going to come, it's going to come. And Yikes. eventually I was like, I'm all good with this risk, but eventually I need to get home. If there's no more money left for me over here, I need to get out of here. And that's what actually ended my time in Europe. I had, I was finally get, paid back what I was owed. I went to our office in, in Italy and they're like, okay, we got you back up to speed in terms of what we owe you. And I said, okay, I need it's something like $400 to make sure I could get back to Switzerland to get gas and you know hotel or whatever. And they're like, we can't advance you that money. And I had this plane ticket that was for that next weekend. It was back when things were pretty difficult to change. And they said, okay, we can't give it to you. And I was like, that's it. I've got everything I own with me. I'm just heading home. Like, I just can't deal with this volatility anymore. So I came back to the US and got out of the bike industry thinking oh, it's just too volatile for me. As much as I love mm -hmm. it, I had been through two, two companies that were bought and just it wasn't providing the stability as I was approaching my late 20s at that point. So I decided to go into something very secure with no volatility, the tech industry. Yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> super, yeah. classically super stable industry <laughs> to walk into. Can you get into, I don't know, hedge funds? Like that seems like a thing <laughs> that might be even more stable. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. What prompted yeah. that decision? I had, had the intention. I thought I would go back to business school, which I ended up doing. So I took a job in Santa Cruz, which was a great place to spend a year. And then went down to UC Irvine and got a, a degree in information technology management, and then moved back up to San Francisco and worked for an East Coast-based company, primarily in the mobile software development space, and spent eight years doing that. Along the way, I was always riding my bike. So don't for the listener and viewer, I, I didn't give up on cycling, but it became something that was just something I was doing in my free time and not something I was talking about 24 seven. How does it feel when you make the change from, Hey, bikes are my entire world. They are part of my lifestyle. They're a thing I do. And they are my business thing. How did it feel to shift gears into, Hey, bikes are my recreation or a thing I do to enjoy myself. What did that feel like to Craig? At the time it felt incredibly liberating. I felt over the years in my bike industry, there was just too much bike in my life, to be honest. Like everything was always about the bike, whether it was my professional life or then on the weekends when you're riding with friends, they want to talk about, oh, what did you see at that trade show or what were you doing there? And it became too much. And I found that being outside the industry, quote unquote, when I was riding my bike, I wanted to talk about bikes all the time. It was great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. So after after college, and I, I've talked about this before on the podcast, after college, I worked for one of our local shops. And it was just like I would work Saturdays or Sundays when they had a need for additional resources. And one of the things that, that the bike shop owner said, he was like, the one thing that I tell everybody is if you want to ride bikes, don't work in 
in a bike shop. And, oh, and he that... was talking about it in, in an even more broad perspective of it felt like he wanted to say, don't be in the bike industry because it's all your, it's going to consume all of your life. But from a retail perspective and living that sort of lifestyle as that customer service facing piece of it, he was just living it. And he was like, I thought, I thought I'd get to ride bikes all the time. And I thought to get to go do all these cool things and have these like amazing experiences like you're talking about riding in the, in a car in the tour and he's like, I've, I haven't ridden in three months or whatever the yeah. time of not riding was. And it just, it's always fascinated me that more often than not ends up being the case because it's just, people forget about balance. Yeah, no, it's a shame. I, you hear that all the time. And I think the best shops, they do manage to keep that balance, but it's easy to get burned out. Yeah. I think it's great when you're younger because you like, you've got other interests. You can get out there and make sure you're making the time and you're not caring whether the shops, you're not you don't have your home on the line, whether the shop <laughs> that isn't your investment, it's some other dude's investment. Yeah. 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 When so, you're a shop owner, then the buck stops with you. Yeah. So in, in getting away from it, working on your professional career, I think this is where we can say, okay, go to LinkedIn, look up Craig, look at all of the stuff that he's done and look at where, what he's doing now in terms of like career wise and things that you're in, investing in. Um, but like, circling back to how do how does bikes just in general start to make its way back and then where does the podcast fit into all of this because and i'm sure that it just doesn't it doesn't come out of nowhere maybe it does but uh, certainly this one didn't for doug and i it was months and months of talking about it and then finally it was we had to act on it just to do something about it but it was building over time yeah. towards something. and But before that, I, I got to believe that there was like a ramp up back getting deeper back into bike culture. Yeah. I had the good fortune of founding my own business with a co-founder and that afforded me a little bit of flexibility in terms of I could show up work in my cycling clothes and I, I was the boss. So I didn't have to worry so much about some of the things that, that other people have to worry about going into an office. I had done, I got into doing Ironman triathlons. I don't like to admit that too much, but it's okay. A couple of it's those. fine. Do you, have a will, do you have the tattoo? I do not have the tattoo. It's okay. okay look. Well, you're not a real Ironman then. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> do you still wear the short socks? <laughs> no. Okay, no, good. No that's fine. That's a, Ellen yeah. and I have had this conversation. She said, I want to do a triathlon sometime soon. I said, and that's fine. I was like, but the one thing you're not allowed to do is wear the short socks. This is part of our conversation. Yeah. And I was still like, much to the chagrin of my transition times, I was still transitioning into full cycling kit with bib shorts and looking proper on the bike. Amen. I will not Amen. sacrifice. <laughs> Amen. I'm here for this. I'm here for this. This is how I would do it if I liked swimming. But I found that I still had a good endurance engine. And so that was the type of cycling that was attractive to me. And my background in mountain biking, I started doing one big mountain bike event a year. So I Along the way, during that company ownership, I did the Leadville 100. I did um, the Trans Rocky Stage Race, a bunch of like eight-hour stuff in, in California. So kept it going from that perspective. I moved to Marin County. Shout out Marin County, Mill Valley, birthplace of mountain biking. But I was still had an office in the city, a factory that I was running. So I was riding in every day. And I'm getting to answer your question, John. I started listening to podcasts. Previously, I had just no time in my life for podcasts because I had a negligible commute. And I just didn't have those, that window. Right. And now all of a sudden I had one hour in the morning and one hour in the evening to put the earbuds in and just cruise to and from work, started listening to a lot of podcasts and became really interested in 
just podcasting as a medium, I found it fascinating that you could go in these wormholes and find content deep dives every week into whatever you were interested in. Yeah. So let me interject this and ask, what were you, I guess, first off, what, what year are we talking? And then what shows were you listening yeah, to? That's something you, yeah, that yeah. anytime somebody says that they like, oh, I listen to podcasts, it's always, you okay, so to. what are you listening to? Because I think they say a lot about somebody's personality. Yeah. Now I'm trying to, it was probably the early days of the daily by the New York times as a podcast to timestamp it. It would have been around 2016 that I started listening to podcasts. I would say there was a few odd cycling ones that I can't even remember the names of them at this point. Cause I don't listen to them anymore. And it predated my obsession with political podcasts. It's a good question. I think I was finding more, more random stuff at that point to listen to, mm. but it, it, so it, at, at I started the process of selling the company in 2017. And at the end of 2017, we'd primarily exited and from the thing that was taking up most, if not all my time. And we were running, I was running an e-commerce business and manufacturing facility. And I wanted to do something that was neither. I had, it wasn't the type of business sale that had me driving a McLaren and <laughs> sipping champagne on yachts off of Khan. I, I call that champagne hot tub money. Right. Like where you're like, no, I filled this hot tub with champagne because I just have this sort of flow. But to, yeah, be, it, to be fair, like kudos on the McLaren reference. That's not normally a car that people cite when they're talking about champagne hot tub money. <laughs> it's because that's, not, that's yeah, nice. Is, that's as a gearhead. That's a nice reference. Yeah, this was more like Miller Lite and a nice dinner out kind of money. <laughs> that's fine, but that's fine. F one fifty money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at these days, F one fifties can get near the McLaren. Like you want a yeah. Raptor done? That's not that's some money yeah. for sure. So I had a little bit of time, and I was running sort of an offshoot of this company that wasn't going to take up all my time, and I was just obsessed over this idea of podcasting. And again, I didn't want an e commerce company. I didn't want a manufacturing company. In 2016, I had also purchased my first gravel bike, essentially as a commuter bike. I was replacing something I had earlier and I wanted something with drop bars, a little bit fatter tires to ride across the crappy San Francisco streets to my office and dog patch. And I was surprised, I started riding it a little bit off-road on the way to work and it hit me that I bought the wrong bike. Like it just wasn't what it could be for me. And I was like, how is it that I've been around bikes my whole life, worked in the bike industry, got attracted to this gravel bike market, but ended up buying the wrong bike. And it, a light bulb went off at that point. I was like, if I'm this confused as to how to figure out what gravel bike to buy, other people are. And if I have this interest in learning something new, I should just go for it. And I took a podcasting course and you guys know you slowly acquire the right equipment to make the audio sound good. And you slowly teach yourself how to edit a podcast yeah. and you learn all the quirks about, oh, you need a podcast host. What is that? And RSS feeds and all these things. Yep. And I'd been in front of a microphone before I'd been interviewed before. So I wasn't particularly nervous about that. And I just started reaching out to people I knew who rode gravel bikes and the goal of the Gravel Wide podcast is to explore the sport through the eyes of product designers, athletes, and event organizers. And I just went out and did that. So in, in thinking about this, in terms of your perspective on 
all my experience, I couldn't find the right bike for me. Was that really the the fuel that kept kind of kept you going back to the fire of wanting to go share this, or what was really the the guiding motivation for finding like what the purpose of this podcast was? Because I think that's where a lot of people struggle. Because there's we have people message us whether it's YouTube people or podcast folks like. I have an I can make a podcast. I could totally do a podcast. It's like, okay, tell me your idea. And it's normally like, okay after three episodes, that's run yeah. its course. But finding something that is unique that has a lifespan and can continue living, like finding that is really difficult. So, is that something that you feel like you had from the jump, or is it something that you've honed over time? I'm still on this journey with the listeners. I'm being completely honest with you guys. Like. I continually explore the sport of gravel cycling and learn new things because it's been, I I hit it at the perfect time with the equipment, the fundamentals of the equipment were there. And when I talk about the fundamentals that make the gravel bike market sing right now, it is tubeless tires and disc brakes. Everything was there before. And look, for the listener and viewer, like, I get it. Like people have been riding drop bar bikes on dirt for generations. I did it. Um, in, I did it in junior high school with my friend, Pete Pigeon. Totally. I, I rode my dad's tubular equipped, campy equipped Frisius down dirt trails. Absolutely. Jumps you did. Yeah. And he is not happy about hearing about He's that. He's just now right finding now. out about he it. He is very upset. <laughs> and he wishes you to pay him for that derailleur, which is now an antique. <laughs> exactly. But so, so things, the pieces of equipment were just coming together, but product designers were still figuring out how people were going to use these bikes now that they were enabled to survive what people had already been throwing at them. The big reason I stopped riding my cross bike 10 years ago off-road was every time I crossed the Golden Gate Bridge into the headlands, I would get a flat tire and I'd just be pissed. Like, why am I not riding my mountain bike if mm. this is the end result? But the reality is in the Bay Area, like gravel bike is this perfect vehicle because you can ride out of San Francisco on the road, you can get into Marin County and you can find endless miles of challenging dirt to ride. Plus you can come on to the roads that are the best sections in our, in the world, like Ridgecrest Boulevard in Marin County, there's countless car commercials filmed up there for a reason. It's absolutely gorgeous. It has this, these rolling Hills through there. I still ride that road as if I'm on a road bike, but I'm riding the dirt all the way to get there. And I'm in like virtual solitude at times. I I think this is the interesting piece that we're getting to in this space and time. And I think is part of, yeah, you were positioned in the right spot. Like you walked in the right location, but this is where we're getting to where there is this reduction in specificity where we are not playing a game of are you after are you Peter Sagan are you trying to go win the green jersey are you cav right are you trying to go do this very specific thing i basically really even though i have way too many i basically really need two bikes maybe three the bmx is like the like third bike that's just fun to roll around the neighborhood but i basically need a gravel bike because it can do everything i would do on the road plus some adventuring and if i want to go on trails i can and then i need a mountain bike for stuff that i would die (laughs) trying to ride my gravel bike on that's pretty much it for me and the person i'm built as and i think we get into this space where specificity is 
reduced, where something that is the Swiss Army knife is a little bit more accessible for folks. Yeah. And I, I think the bikes, as you alluded to, the gravel bikes today with two sets of wheels can be every bit as capable as the average cyclist is going to notice yeah. when they're out on the road. And That's, I am the average cyclist. Thank that, you very much. That <laughs> is so much the, the perfect wording for that equation is I think everybody wants to think that I can hop on, I can hop on a road bike that has that's carbon or aluminum and I can tell the difference and I can hop on a gravel bike and tell the difference or all of that stuff. That's fine. I'm sure at this point, my butt can tell the difference between the two of them. But in terms of my actual out in the world experience, what it does for the thing between my ears, like I'm an average person when it comes to that sort of thing. Like I'm not paying attention to every single gram on the bike. I'm not paying attention to what it does in the wind tunnel because I'm not paying attention to what like my posture on the bike, sit up and eat gummy bears. Like I'm not, I'm giving up all exactly. those arrow gains by eating gummy bears. That's where that average piece of it comes in. And I think that's where a lot of harped on it with Marley's episode and talking about how marketing positions things. And for the longest time, the cycling industry has tried to convince people that you need 40 grams lighter and 20% stiffer, and it's going to do something for you. Sure, it does when you're at the really sharp end of the development curve. But for most of us out there, sadly, even the Cat 2s and the Cat 1s that are racing regionally, Sorry about it's you, boys. not really going to make or break. Like, you take Cav right now with the fitness he has and put him on my gravel bike and give him some road tires, he's going to go kick everyone's ass at the local crit. That's just the facts of the matter right now. He might not fit yeah. on my bike, but you get the point. Totally. So for podcasting, you talked about that you were super passionate about podcasting, but for you and keeping things moving, what is what for you is so important about making a thing and putting it out into the world? And as you guys, I'm sure, have experienced getting feedback that you're a valuable part of someone's life each week is super rewarding. There's a little bit of a dopamine hit there when people give you good feedback. It's like, the, it's like the ultimate, like when you get the notification from whatever social media thing that like somebody liked what you're doing, you're like, that's like a little bit of it. But then when you get at this level, it's like you get a hundred of those all at once. It's and pretty addictive. And, and as you know, with the pebbles, when you get someone to support the podcast financially and understand that what we're doing takes a lot of time and energy to get out there every week and put out content out there. And when someone just does something simple and agrees to pay $5 a month, it's, it helped. It just, it, it's been really rewarding to see people do that. I'm sure you guys feel the same way. A hundred percent every single time. Yeah. And it's, I think people forget that there are these expenses that we incur <laughs> not even talking about our time, but the expenses to run a podcast. Yeah. And I think it's part of that that double-edged sword of having something that is free to consume. Yes, you have ads on YouTube or whatever, but there's, and yeah, we do ad reads on our podcast, but we try and make them interesting it's, and make yeah, them I, not feel like ad reads. It's it's um, not, it, you don't have to, you don't have to pay a monthly fee. Correct. Just yeah. It's not a Netflix account. It's not a Prime account. It's something that you can go access. And I think that there's a, because that barrier is so low for entry, I think it's easy to hop over that idea of like, well, they're giving it away, so I should just take it. Like, it's not a big leap in logic to get there. 
Yeah. And I'm, as someone who's been in the tech space for a long time as well, I believe that the web and content, it's broken right now. We have a broken relationship. The big platforms are getting all the advertising dollars and the content producers and influencers and people just putting stuff out there. They're really not getting their fair shake. And there will be a reckoning over time as new technology comes into play where people can just do micropayments and tips that don't feel like they're getting their credit card out. It's just the financial version of a, a thumbs up or a kudo. I like that word, reckoning. It sounds dark and menacing. <laughs> no, and it should We will be. have our time. <laughs> no, but I think it should be because I think this is an interesting piece of where we are in the media landscape. Like I look at this from, I, I grew up in the electronic music industry in the early 2000s, late, late 90s, early 2000s, when you had to buy records and buy mixtapes and everything went digital. And there is this reckoning between like art, artists getting their digital streaming kudos are they getting paid the way they should be when these tracks are played there has to be a leveraging of this piece of it and i think that's interesting to think about but we're out here making content that doesn't necessarily have that 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 monetary number attached to it and we still just do it because we love it because we're passionate about it there is this drive and i think it's an interesting space to be in so you look at you're making a podcast you're creating these things is this bigger than just making the thing like you have grown up in the bike world. Yes, you've had deviations as we all have. We've all done different things, but you're back here in the bike world building a thing. Do you find that creating the community that has been the podcast and ultimately really the ridership, which is uh, side construction, but also part of it, do you feel like that's where the value is for you rather than this number that you're like not trying to pay the bills of this, but it's this thing that you're creating an environment around? Yeah, I think it's a common theme throughout my career, just the idea of building community. And I've seen it time and time again, whether it was the community we built around the Dean brand through ambassador programs and um, advocates to much later with my company Dodo Case, like it wouldn't have happened without building a community. And one of the things I've always been surprised about, and maybe this is news to people listening and watching, is that it honestly just starts by taking a single step. And I've talked to a lot of community builders in the gravel space on the podcast who just said, I'm just going to throw my hand up and I'm going to start Ozark gravel cycling or Ohio gravel grinders. And these people, they're not tech entrepreneurs. They just put up a Facebook right. page and said, come together. And it's amazing. I've witnessed this happen so many times that people want to come together and they want these resources. And that was the real driver behind the ridership community. We, what I felt was lacking in the world was a place for gravel and adventure cyclists to come together and talk at a macro level about the sport they want to geek out about. So they, there's certainly conversations about frames and tires and sure. sealant and all that good stuff. But I also wanted people to be able to drive down into regions. And I wanted the regions to act as both a, a daily and weekly hub for people to get together and join group rides and have talk about the things that are going on in their community, but also something that as someone who may be visiting a community, I can pop into and get information about routes and rides. 
what I saw in the gravel space specifically were there were all these groups around the country naturally coming up because I know my local mountain in Marin County better than anybody. And I can create a community around that. You couldn't ask me to create a community around Cincinnati because I wouldn't know the first place to tell you to ride. But you have all these different projects going on. And my vision for the ridership is that they can all come together under the ridership. And it can be a place where if I'm going to visit Cincinnati, I will jump into that region. I will ask a few questions and I'll get led to a few rides for my weekend there. So for let, let's pause for a second and say, go to the ridership.com, sign up, plug in your information and join this community because it it is, it's something that is much needed. It's something that from, from the PR space working with Cincinnati Off-Road Alliance and Doug is there's so many times, it's a couple times a week that we would get messages from people to the brand saying, I'm coming in from Michigan or I'm coming in from Tennessee. This is what this is what I I want. What What can you yeah? It's like the wine pairing at the restaurant is okay, I want to get this. What would you recommend that I have with it? And it's I'm looking for something that's intermediate and flowy. And it's like, okay, we'll go like you should go ride this trail and you can go here to check the status of it. And then we can plug you into this Facebook group so you can talk with other people that might be there. You might be able to pick up a group ride and like doing those things, but it's it was a bit ad hoc because you're taking a Facebook message, you're pointing somebody towards a Facebook group, you're pointing somebody towards a website, and it's it's going in all these divergent locations, whereas this is meant to keep everybody within kind of one communal space. So I think this is interesting. Something we talked about before recording is, so we've got the Gravel Ride podcast, and we're talking about education. You're talking with people in the industry, you're talking about tech and bikes and training and events and all of these different things and in dropping knowledge on people on a regular basis now we're talking about the ridership which is building community and building some sort of network for people to feel tied into whether it's locally or nationally to your point and normally the last piece of that is what is the what's the outreach what's the service so this is me throwing the alley-oop up in the air to you of the third piece of of this puzzle. Talk Slam it down. Just rip the backboard off. Just like smash the glass. Just do it. And thanks, John, for that. Yeah, I did. I did definitely want to talk about Bike Index. So Bike Index is a nonprofit that I'm the executive director of. And Bike Index is a nonprofit bike registry and stolen bike recovery platform. And basically, it was founded out of a bike shop in Chicago. And Seth, her one of the one of the co-founders, basically saw how ridiculous it was when people had their bike stolen. They would come into the bike shop and he'd be flipping through paperwork in the back trying to find the serial number. And he's like, why hasn't someone built an online service yes. to track serial numbers? So he set out to build that and start did a Kickstarter campaign. And with the funds from the Kickstarter, he built out the database and he traveled around to a bunch of bike shops to get them on board. And he ended up, one of his backers, he ended up meeting him in Portland, Oregon, a gentleman by the name of Brian Hance. And Brian had started a stolen, National Stolen Bike Registry, something like that. I'll get the name wrong. Brian will kill me for that. But anyway, they realized that they were talking about two sides of of the same coin effectively. Oh, yeah, yeah. No one cares about bike registration. Hopefully you register your bike and it just sits there and you never have to touch it again. But if your bike is stolen, it becomes this critically important tracking element. So over the last, gosh, I guess it's been about seven years, the nonprofit's been functioning. They've built out both sides of the platform. So they have integrations with bike shop point of sale systems. 
So if you're using Lightspeed or Ascend in your bike shop, right at the time in which the bike is purchased, it can be passed over to Bike Index and a user account can be created for the owner and um, it'll be stored in Bike Index. And then on the stolen bike recovery side, we've integrated with police and pawn industry databases. So should your bike come into the police impound lot or a pawn shop, they're going to check our database to see if the bike has been marked as stolen. But I think even more interestingly, we've built out a ton of community features. So we've got a, a wide number of Bike Index ambassadors who are looking at sites like OfferUp, Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace for suspicious looking bikes. We've built social media integrations and Twitter handles in a lot of different communities. So if you're, once you indicate the bike has been stolen on the platform, it'll blast out to your social media, so Twitter locally, and we can tag local cyclists and bike shops and just getting eyeballs on the fact that your bike was stolen. Awesome. I would like to, as the, as the operations manager of a local bike share, I would like to potentially register all of my local bike share bikes <laughs> with your stolen bike registry. Because good goddamn, people do not return these things in an appropriate fashion. And what about, I would like them what about to be the 30 well. that are currently stolen, Doug? Shh, How are you going to register those? I have their serial numbers. I will just register them and they right. are stolen nice. <laughs> immediately. You got it. <laughs> but, I, but, but I think it's interesting to think about how you're putting those two pieces together because there is a service aspect of this if you're getting people on the intake on the front side but also you're helping people out of a, a jam that they're in we all care about our bikes and it doesn't matter whether it costs you five bucks or it costs you five thousand bucks like we care about our bikes because for a lot of people this is their transportation and for some people this is their excitement and pleasure and they get to go out and enjoy this thing in a way that other people can't so i think that figuring out how we do this better is part of a lot of different that we're seeing right now. And I love that bike index is attacking it from both sides. It's a good way to think about it. Yeah, it's tricky. And as I, I had the opportunity, bike index received a little funding, which allowed me to focus energy on it full time for a short period of time. And I thought I could come in and get the bike industry whipped into shape based on my experience and get everybody's bikes registered. So it was seamless for the end user. It turns out there's just there's the bike industry and getting the big bike manufacturers on board to do these things, even though it's clearly a benefit to the consumer. Operationally, it's not something they could figure out. So we ended up working with a ton of local bike shops, feeling like you know, these are the people who want to develop these personal yeah. relationships with their customers. And these are the people who are motivated to provide this service. So it's, it's been great. And the, the stories of recovery are just insane. Just one quick one off the top of my head. We had one, one individual who was at the University of Chicago. He had his bike stolen his freshman year. Didn't come back to him. He went on with his life, went to medical school in Chicago. In his final year of medical school, his bike turned up and we got it Excellent. back to him. Excellent. He, and it presumably had changed hands multiple times over those eight years, but he had it registered. It was marked as stolen. And as soon as it came up in a legitimate place, a bike shop or pawn shop or police shop, it got back to them. That's, That's excellent. Awesome. And like listening to working on, you know, API, I assume eight like API integrations with front end point of sale. And you listed off ones that I think the majority of bike shops are using. So you're like ticking the big boxes yeah, there the and making boys. it easier, but also following in on the back end of using 
pawn shop logs, police logs, things like that, and, and surrounding it from both perspectives, I feel like those things are eventually going to pay dividends the same way that like we're talking about bike shop owners want to go that extra mile, like the the small bike shop wants to provide that unique experience that makes somebody keep coming back to them versus buying from Amazon or buying from an online retailer that you don't have any personal connection with. And I feel like those sort of things are going to start to stack up over time against some of these, some of the manufacturers that are pushing back and saying that it's too complicated for them to do, but they can invest hundreds of thousands of man hours to make something like a gram lighter. Like where really is the value? And that again, goes back to some of our conversation with Marley about, okay, if you're talking about making bikes for everybody and actually wanting to do something good for for the the larger group of people, maybe actually go do it and, and follow that with actions rather than just giving us reasons why you can't make more bulletproof wheels or why you can't make more bike sizes and why you can't carry those specific things. I think that those are short sighted decisions that may look good for a quarterly budget report, but not gonna not gonna age. We sort of look at it; it's a game of inches with bike index, but in the yeah. communities where we've gotten buy in from both the local law enforcement bike shops, community advocacy groups, we start to see a change in behavior in bike criminals. You, if you think about a bike criminal, let's say they're selling, stealing a $5,000 Yeti mountain bike. It's a good deal if you sell that bike and you can fence it on Craigslist for $4,000. High profit margin in that. But if you're in a community where bike index has a lot of ambassadors, where we're registering all the bikes, where the police are on bike index, all of a sudden that that bike sale can't happen online and it's driven down to the street level. So now they're selling that bike for $250, which is obviously a crying shame for that Yeti to be fenced at $250. Yep. But the incentive is not there because they're still, they've got a $5,000 crime on their shoulders if they get caught, but they're only getting $250 out of it. So it's really pushing the crime down to a lot lower level criminal in cities that we've got massive penetration. And we do see it. We see it in Edmonton and Canada doing a phenomenal job. And also in Calgary, we're starting to see it in, in Boulder, Colorado, where the police department, the university, they're all on board. We've seen it for years in Bend, Oregon. So it's just, we know that we're making a dent and the more help we can get in any given community, the better success we have. So for any so for anyone that wants to reach out and say okay I want to be I want to be involved for some no matter where they are how can they get in touch with you Yeah just visit bikeindex.org so for any individual consumer listening it's free to register your bike for any bike shop coming on board again free to set up an account it should be pretty self-service at the website we've got different sort of areas of the site for you to visit If you communicate with Bike Index do not do it during the month of July as I was just telling the gentleman prior to the broadcast, <laughs> yeah. their previous guest, Lily Williams. I was just going to say, if you have any problems, it, email Lily. <laughs> she's our main employee at Bike Index, and she's off in Tokyo at the Olympics on the Women's Pursuit track team. So we're wishing her best of luck, and we're apologizing to any Bike Index customers <laughs> who are getting a less than stellar response time. Yeah, out she's of office. Little, yeah, yeah, she's a little busy on PTO right now. Yeah. <laughs> Paid time Olympics. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
John, have you been sitting on that since the beginning of the show? No, I just thought of that. No, one, that's actually. fantastic. I'm pretty no, proud no, of myself. That's good. why I was smiling while I thought it. I was very As happy while be. I was delivering it. Yeah, paid time Olympics. We, we should all get paid time Olympics. Can any of us? No, we can't. We cannot get paid time Olympics. Yeah, but but like you've got a stellar crew and, and a brilliant idea, and communities should look into this sort of thing because this is a way for y'all to get. If you are a community organizer and you know that you want to engage your bike community, this is a great way to do it and open a dialogue between your police department and show them that people on bikes matter and start to create those relationships. That's a really good space to be. And for bike shop owners, it's an easy add-on to your business model that's offering another level of customer service to your customer. 100%, 100%. Yeah, we're the first to say, we don't want to get in the way of the bike transaction. No, that's the bread and butter. And you don't want to be talking about bike theft when you're trying to sell someone a new bike. No. But I do think it's this amazing like post-purchase outreach thing to say, hey, by the way, you've got this system in the the background we've already set you up on it just in case you ever have any trouble yeah yeah that's super sick that's super sick so you've got all this stuff going on you've got like the gravel ride podcast you've got what's going on with bike index you got the ridership you got all this stuff what, what are you looking at next on the horizon do you have any like wild burning hairs that you're like oh i gotta solve this problem as, like as, yeah, you, as if that stuff isn't enough to keep you occupied right now it's plenty to keep you occupied i'm sure you got other stuff going on your family and all that jazz and i've seen the dog walking around we've seen the dog on our private call prior to this but what do you got what do you got brewing what are you thinking about yeah, no, you guys hit the nail on the head. I got my hands full with this journey right now. There's so much I would like to do with the ridership to build that out because I just think it's a really neat community and the interactions we're seeing there are just super positive. And they you know, are. if I could say anything about what I'm trying to do, I'm just trying to put positivity out into the cycling world. And as we've talked about earlier, like I've just seen that if you raise your hand and say, I'm going to do something, I'm going to put something out there in the cycling world a lot of people will get benefit from it. And whether that's calling out the group ride on the weekend, inviting all comers, or starting a community, like it's all good and we need more of it in the cycling world. I think it, it is an amazing thing to be doing to try to continually open this and continually look at the different avenues that you can deliver value because you care about this thing. This is definitely where your heart is like you started in this space you start in this space as a young kid even though your dad didn't believe in bmxing <laughs> <laughs> and he was like you're crazy bmxing is for weirdos and i do not believe in this we should all ride in wool jerseys and wool pants but you found a space where cycling has come back to a place where you're giving something back and you're trying to find a way to continually grow the sport. And I love that's what's driving you. You've had this, this journey, and I know there'll continue to be many more years beyond this, but I love that you're at this place where you've got this kind of mix of things that you're able to bring to the community and continue to grow that. So it's really exciting to see that. Yeah, I feel like it's like a Petri dish of my sort of interest and desire in building community. It just gives me a, a playground. And while it may not be my full-time vocation at this point, it's always something that I want to have a hand in. Yeah. And I think it's, I love what you're saying of we all have unique individual skill sets and, and we all have something that we can bring to the table and thinking that you need to be, you need to be an advocate to go be an advocate. It's no, there's different languages for every different way that you can be an advocate. It's just, I'm going to do this and I'm going to try and make my world better by doing this. 
and that's all you gotta do yeah like, it sounds real funny. like it, it's really dumb when you say it that simply but that's what it is it amazes me there's so many little things that I think about when I'm like perusing podcasts I like or an Instagram feed and sometimes you're just scrolling and I'm like no I need to stop and comment someone put this out there that put a smile on my face that picture of a dirt road somewhere that just looked awesome it's very easy to forget that people are putting themselves out there when they put content into the world podcast or pictures and throw a like at them throw a comment like that kind of stuff it doesn't take but a second and it lets people know hey it's, it's appreciated what you're doing. I have a question before I have a question for you before I have the last question. And, and that's this. So you're doing that. You're scrolling through Instagram. You see something you're like, damn, that's a good idea. Does it bug you that you're not doing that idea? Because it bugs me. It, it does. <laughs> yeah. I was like, cause it drives me crazy. I'm like, damn it. Why didn't I think of that? Yeah. I mean, the entrepreneur in me, like when I've dedicated myself full time to building a business, like you do all these things. And when you're doing a podcast, that's a side hustle or posting stuff on social media, like we don't have unlimited time to do this yet. We know enough about building businesses to say, oh gosh, I should be doing that. And that's what frustrates me. Oh, it's stressful. I, I am a thousand percent with so you there. Stressful. There are so many times where it's just, man, we're doing like one tenth of what actually needs to be done to really ramp it out. But yeah, do I, when, I don't have the time. When, I have a day job. Like, I have things I have to do. Sleep. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, and for me, like video is like huge. Like I've never been opposed to being on camera. In fact, I quite enjoy it, but like the level of work you guys do to pr- produce this live stream and the videos you do, that's next level in my opinion. And, and something like maybe if I had a partner like you guys do to share a little bit of the workload, it might be feasible. But for me, every time I've looked at it, I'm like, I don't think I can pull that off. To be very all clear, right, so- to be very clear, let me be very clear. I am the on-air talent. John does all the work. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was just going to say, okay, now where can we send those applications, Craig? Because yeah, exactly. I think we're going to have some people apply to being that person for you. Yeah. Okay. So as we're wrapping this up, um, you guys have known we've been transitioning to asking the final question after we get through the the ad read. So Craig, I know what's coming, but we're going to give you the kind of precursor of what do you want to leave the pebbles with today? What do you want them to take home? But as we wrap up the show today, this is our chance once more for me, for Doug, and Craig even brought it up in this as well, because he's in this whole podcasting world with us and creating content for you guys to go enjoy and download. Subscribe to us, subscribe to all of our social feeds, follow us on YouTube, um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the gravel lot, uh, the gravel ride on all of those things as well. I'm like pre-programmed to say lot instead of ride. Go find (laughs) Craig's content with the gravel ride. Go follow him, Facebook, Instagram, go find the podcast, go find the YouTube channel, go find all of those things and subscribe to him because as he said, those likes, those smiley faces, those comments make the world go round for us. Apparently, um, And they yes. really show us that what we're doing is working. So they show that to us, but they also show that to the, the people making the money off of us. Um, that then shows them to more people so we can find more people and make them more money 
Bezos. Make us feel better. Basically, it's basically, all about dopamine just do this. this make sure Bezos can go to space in another deck rocket. That's basically <laughs> what we're trying to do. Just let's do that. Everyone like right. us and do the and and like the gravel ride so we can right. all send Bezos more dick rockets. So without you guys, we we really could not do this. Thank you so much to all of our Patreons. Thank you so much to all of our subscribers, all the people that are new following us on all of our social feeds. Thank you so much for being a part of this and engaging, um, commenting, just being here with us, whether it's audio, video, however you're being a part of this. But in addition to you guys, we have some partners that have been around with us for a long time. They make great products. The reason that they've been around with us for a long time is because we've established familial relationships with all these people and we really believe in what they're doing and want you guys to go basically reap the the benefits of the great products that they're doing. So we've got some discount codes. Let us read those things off and then we'll get back to Craig's final question. But but in addition to all of that, when you're going to purchase these things from these folks, thank them for supporting the gravel lot. Thank them for supporting cool things that you engage with and that you care about. Absolutely. Our first one is Be Free Ride Bike Cycling Apparel. Absolutely the best. Been with us for ages. So good to be on the group ride this weekend up at the Alma Glen Gravel Ramble with a bunch of folks wearing BFRB cycling apparel. So, Adam, you're yeah. getting in there. They offer fully customized kit prepared for your needs, whatever your team's needs, your friends, your gang, whatever you're getting together, and you all want to get good cycling apparel, you can do that. If you just need one onesie, twosies, off stuff, They've got amazing stuff. My new jersey, everyone has loved it. So if you want to get my cool white jersey with the pink and blue, I feel like I'm in the 80s. It's brilliant. Go check that out. Go to BFRBcycling.com and take a look how they can help you and your entire team get outfitted for 2021. If you are a coffee drinker, actually, there was a lot of people that got free samples of Grimport Brothers coffee this weekend at the Alma Glen Gravel. Follow the link in our show notes. Head to thegrimportbrothers.com now and get your hands on premium hand-roasted coffee that supports amazing causes, causes across all of the cycling community. So athletes, events, uh, nonprofits, it, anything that is bike industry related that can be supported there's a new jake wells blend so obviously we're down for the champ blend so go there look at all the blends figure out what you want if you want to do the subscription service you'll get a free bag of coffee over the course of the year but come on it's as we talked before we were recording you guys don't know this but we've now deemed it as treat yourself tuesdays so go to grouperbrothers.com even if it's not a tuesday and treat yourself Absolutely. Also, treat yourself at our good friend Mitch's shop at BioWheels Fit Studio. BioWheels Fit Studio right here in Cincinnati, Ohio, offers you a full host of bike fitting services that are intended to provide you the most efficient, comfortable, and sustainable bike fit. Mitch has bikes right now in stock, and he knows what's coming to him. Like Like real bikes, not just imaginary bikes that you may have ordered or thought about ordering. They exist, and they're right here in Cincinnati. If you are regional and you need to get some Cervelo specialized moots, whatever, Mitch knows what he's got. He knows what he's got coming in. Get in there, buywheels.com. I believe it's buywheels.com. Yeah. Yep. Buywheels.com. You nailed it. And also, huge thanks to the Ritual on Natural Skin Care, providing small batch handmade chamois cream, custom blended for you, your shop, your team. So again, we've been talking about this for a while now. We're almost at six months with them back. You can design the label. You can pick what color the, the tub is. You can pick what scents are going in it. You can pick whether it's cooling or not. 
every single thing about the blend is customized to you, your team, your shop, to whatever you want your little heart to have on your delicate areas. Really, whatever you want. If you want to get in touch with us or with The Ritual, get in touch with us and we will put you in contact with them. All that stuff is sourced locally from here, right in the area, made locally here in Cincinnati, and it is going to be the best shaving cream you have ever put on. And last but not least, our awesome friends at Hand Up Gloves, doing gloves for good, more gloves every, almost every other week, gloves for good coming out. Go check out all the gloves for good. They are benefiting really awesome organizations and really awesome community initiatives all across the United States. Hand Up is doing the yeoman's work of doing that. But guess what? All their gloves are freaking awesome. And guess what else they have? John? Jorts. They have jorts. They have jorts. They have jorts. If you do not know, jorts are exceptional to ride in, but only if you're riding in hand-up jorts. They're stretchy. They're good. They're awesome. That's what Craig needed when he was a kid. That's why you're cut off. I think my dad would respect me more if I was in jorts. That was the look he was going for. That might have been the era, Craig, to be very clear. That was definitely the era. So if you want to get jorts that make Craig's dad feel real cool and you may get a little points go to hand up they've got gloves for snow sport golf bike all this stuff and they do an amazing job their personality your personality gets to shine through your gloves and that's a wonderful thing go to our link in our show notes and click on that that'll take you to their website and enter code pebble dollar sign at checkout save yourself 10 percent off everything in store so we said it a couple times now, we absolutely love hearing from all you guys. So whether you want to hit up the contact form, whether you want to find us at The Gravel Lot on all the forms of social media, or again, Craig at The Gravel Ride on all the forms of social media, you can go to thegravelot.com, stay in touch, stay up to date, find the Girls Moving Mountains, find the Bike Shop Show, find Pink Blue White, find all of our old content on The Gravel Lot as well. And again, we have the contact form up there, so there's really no reason for you to not be able to find us. If you want to make a phone call, you can call 513-455-77, leave us a voicemail, and then we'll... I think the challenge now is to to leave us a voicemail that Google has trouble... Um, translating yeah translating so there's your challenge for the week and then join us for the live shows every tuesday 6 30 p.m eastern time um on youtube twitch facebook stream labs and come bring your comments and bring your questions for our guests our intro and outro music is done by the wonderful Waterboy. Go check him out on SoundCloud in our links in the show notes. He does awesome jams, super surfy, enjoying the like kind of lo-fi beats. This is where we're at in season four, so it's been exceptional. All right, Craig, you've had some time to ruminate. What would you like the pebbles to take home from our conversation this evening? I would like to remind all the pebbles out there to ride the unbeaten path, whatever that means to you. I don't care what bike you have, whether you have a gravel bike, road bike, BMX bike. When you see that path through the woods, just go take it. Definitely. I've found that in my life, taking that path that I didn't know where it goes is always the best kind of ride. You know, that's a great, that's a great, just like ellipses open metaphor statement. Like whether it's actually your physical ride or it's maybe there's some trails you don't want to go down that may have the cops at the end of them, but whatever. <laughs> well, I mean, look, you got to know when to turn around <laughs> on that trail. Never, yeah, not, no stone unturned, no road untraveled. And just be like, oh, God, that's not the spot. But I, I love that. I love that from the perspective of 
taking those risks to find those things out. And I love that. That's brilliant. So, dude, this has been exceptional to spend some time with you on our show instead of just the three of us having a Zoom call across the country just to talk about stuff. This has been awesome to have you on the show. So thanks so much for joining us tonight. Yeah, I love it. And I love what you guys are putting out there on the world. So thanks for doing what you're doing. Absolutely. We love all the things you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dude, everything you're doing with the ridership, all the stuff you do with Bike Index, and obviously the gravel ride. Folks, check them out. Really awesome stuff. We're so thankful that we're able to make this happen and have you here to join the Pebbles. Always a massive thanks to you for being here week in, week out, and checking us all out. We could not do this without you. Make sure to subscribe, click, follow, engage, do all the things you're supposed to do and that the internet does reward. Go to our website, figure out how to become a Patreon supporter, and send us ideas for the fall season we are looking for guests we are looking for people who are making a difference in your community if you've got people that you know that are just fascinating to talk to that's who we want to talk to this is a community engaged show and we love to have your suggestions so send them on this way folks that's all for this week so be sure to subscribe follow and engage because as decisions and trails are made by those who show up so if you don't see on the trails this week we will see you next time Bye, John. Bye, Doug.